Welcome to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the preaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Please check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. Again, so turn with me to Mark chapter 1. We're going to be uh, uh, starting in verse number 29. And the word of the Lord reads, And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and he took her by the hand and, and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. This is the word of the Lord. The timing of this particular text actually is pretty helpful because in the next couple of days, we will celebrate the beginning of yet another new year. 2018 is already almost in the books. Just as you've started uh, learning how to make sure you write that on your checks for those of you still that do that, right? Um, but now you're going to learn to write 2019 because it's upon us. And, and what comes with a new year? Well, a new perspective, right? It's the time of year where, where people start over. It's the time of year where, where people begin again. It, it's it's this, the time of year where we begin to think about our lives and, and the direction that our lives have been going. And, and we begin to, to think about, uh, and, and about making changes. This is the, the, the time of year where we make resolutions. And, and we begin to set big goals and, 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 and we create new mission statements for our lives. It's the time of year where we begin to really think about where we want to be in our lives, um, where we want to be financially, right? Most of us would like to be in a better financial situation. We, we, we think about, you know, maybe saving a little more money, maybe spending a little less money, maybe paying down some of that debt, right? Maybe, you know, maybe it's, you know, time to get another job to, where you can have a little more money, Right? We, we all have an idea where we want to be in our finances. And we, maybe we, we're thinking about where we want to be res- with respect to our health. If there's an area that people are thinking about when it comes to this time of year, especially after eating at Thanksgiving and Christmas, is I need to uh, fill in the blank. You know, go to the gym, eat better, you know, no carbs, more carbs. Um, everybody thinks about you know, getting healthy at this time of year. Uh, in fact, when you, in, in the bigger cities, like uh, my daughter, uh, she lives in Bakersfield, her gym, like you can't go to the gym this time of year because, because all the new memberships, right? Everybody is thinking about where they want to be with their health and then also people think about where they want to be with their relationships. This is where we kind of become introspective and we think about how we've maybe treated some people and we think about like the kind of, you know, uh, spouse we want to be or the, the parent that we want to be. I know about, I don't know about you, but like, you know, being a parent, nobody gave us an instruction manual, so you're always kind of figuring it out, out as you go along. And, and this time of year, people tend to get, you know, introspective. You know, have they, have they been good to their kids? You know, maybe they didn't discipline their kids enough. And then, but, but for me, hopefully, I think that we're thinking about where we are with our walk with Christ. 
right? Where are you in your walk with Christ? In fact, it's my prayer that if there's any part of your life that you're thinking about this time of year, if there's any part of your life that you're examining this time of year, it's this, your walk with Christ. Am I where I need to be in my own walk with Christ? Are you intentionally becoming more like him? And today's text is actually really perfect for this because in this text, there are lots of lessons that we can learn about faith. Uh, and, and keeping our hearts and minds focused on Christ and, and what he's called us to be and to do. Because let's face it, if there's anything that we struggle to do in our day-to-day lives, it's to stay focused. Because life is just busy. There's just so much to do. There's so many things around us. There's so many diversions. We're not even talking about electronic devices, right? There's just lots of stuff around you to, to, to distract you. It's hard to stay focused. In fact, there's so much that gets in the way of our walk with Christ, right, that, that, that I did an entire sermon series uh, during this year called Distracted, Finding God in a Chaotic World. And this is such an important subject that I am publishing a book in 2019 based on that series, and we hope to have that ready by the, by the summertime. But, but staying focused in every area of our life is, is, is a challenge. It's difficult to stay focused in, in managing your finances well because there's just so much stuff to spend money on, right? And, and credit's so easy to obtain. It can be difficult to stay focused on, on working on your, on your marriage. It can be difficult staying focused on finishing projects around the house. How many of you guys have projects around the house that are three months old or older? Come on, don't lie. All right. How about six months? A year. You see what I'm saying? Yes. It can be really, really hard to stay focused on the things that we need to do, right? You know? Um, it's also hard to, to you know, for, for, for people that are students, it's hard to stay focused on homework and keeping your grades up. Uh, it can also be difficult to stay focused on, on your health, right? Especially when there's so many wonderful things around us to eat, right? I mean, we had a, you know, I mean we've had like potlucks the last couple of weeks. Staying focused and on target and on mission is extremely difficult in every area of our life, but especially in our walk with Christ, because again, there's so many things that can draw our attention. Well, today's text, there are several lessons we can learn from Jesus himself and from those around him that can help us with that. Lessons that that can help us to, to, to learn about staying connected to God, staying focused on the mission that he has for us, and not allowing ourselves to lose sight of the goal that, uh, that God has laid out for us. And so we're going we're gonna to be looking at Mark chapter 1, verses 29 through 39. And before we, we actually get into the text, let me just kind of remind you of where we've been. The Gospel of Mark is, is a fast-moving narrative that really rushes all the way to the, um, uh, the crucifixion of Christ. In fact, one commentary says that, that, that Mark is really a crucifixion narrative with an extended introduction. It moves really, really quick. And the focus of Mark um, is really about what Jesus does more than what Jesus says, right? Um, the, the Gospel of Mark, compared to all the other Matthew, Mark, and I mean, Matthew, Luke, and, and John, um, the Gospel of Mark records more miracles than any of the other Gospels, but records less in, 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 in as far as his content in preaching. It's really about what Jesus is doing, right? And that's why the, the Gospel of Mark is really great for us uh, in, in a way of discipleship, right? If you want to, if you want to want to know what it's like to, to be like Jesus, right, then read the book of Mark. Um, it's a picture of how he lived and how he treated people. It's a good discipleship manual for us. Now, the gospel of Mark begins and it opens up with a bold declaration about who Jesus is, right? It says in verse number one, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, 
Mark begins his gospel declaring that Jesus is the eternal Son of God, that, he, that Jesus is divine in his nature, and he spends the rest of the gospel uh, really proving that. In every section, Mark makes a point to demonstrate that Jesus is divine. And he does so immediately by telling the story of John the Baptist. He was the herald that comes before before Christ. And John the Baptist preached a message about repentance and he baptized people in the, in the River Jordan. And then Jesus comes onto the scene and gets baptized by John in order to identify with us. You see, Jesus didn't need to be baptized for, for repentance. He, he was baptized because he wanted to identify with us and identify also with John's ministry. And when he came up out of the water, right, Right? The Spirit, the Holy Spirit descends upon him, and then the Father from heaven says, you are my beloved Son with you, and I am, I am well pleased. And in, in that moment, Mark reveals to us you know, all three members of the Trinity in one place. Again, affirming Jesus' divinity. And then Jesus from there, he, is, he goes into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, he thwarts him by using the word of God, but this is the first of many spiritual conflicts that Jesus will get into with the, with the forces of darkness. And then Jesus begins his ministry preaching the gospel. And he says, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And then Jesus goes to the Sea of Galilee right after that, and he calls his first four disciples. Andrew, his brother Simon, which is Peter, James, and then his brother John. And all of these men, they go to the city of Capernaum, which was located on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. And it also happens to be Andrew and Peter's um, hometown. And on the Sabbath morning, that first Sabbath morning, um, Jesus and his four disciples, they enter the local synagogue and they invite Jesus to read the text and teach. And when he does, the message really shocks those in attendance. In fact, it says that they were astonished by his teaching, for he taught them with one who had authority and not as the scribes. And then right after that, a demon-possessed man comes up, and, and, and Jesus shows his power by casting out the demon by just saying a word. He said, basically, shut up and get out, and that's exactly what the demon did. And then in verse 29, right after that it says, and immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew and James and John. Which tells us that this is the same day, right? This is, this is important for us to kind of, for context, this is the same day that he taught in the synagogue. This is a continuation of that Sabbath day. And this is important because what we're going to see here in this text is, is this is a really, really long day for Jesus. This is a super long day for him. And I think most of us can probably identify with that. We get up in the morning. We kind of have the schedule of things that we need to get done. We have, or we have a to-do list or a plan of the things that we want to get accomplished. And, and we're mentally prepared. And we go out and, and, you know, and, and, and try to get right into what we need to do. And suddenly, right, out of nowhere, you know, something happens or, or something else drops in your lap and next thing you know, all the balls you're juggling start to fall on the ground and you have more to do than can possibly be done. And before you know it, you know, you've been going from daylight to dark and you haven't even had a chance to, to rest. Well, it's really kind of what happens here for Jesus that day. He, he preaches a message, you know, that Saturday, that Sabbath day at the synagogue. He casts out the demon and then he and his disciples, they head over to Peter's house, presumably for lunch. And, 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 and things just get busy from there. It says in verse 30, Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they, they told him about her. Now, 
the first thing I want you to notice here is that Simon, or Peter, he had a mother-in-law, right? Which, which means Peter was, was married. He had a wife. And this is important theologically because one of the errors of the, the Roman Catholic Church is they forbid church leaders and, and clergy and, 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 and pastors from marrying. They forbid pastors and, and priests and bishops from getting married. And this right here, this single doctrine has caused horrific sexual exploitation over the centuries because men in powerful positions have had a natural burning desire, but they've not had any way to relieve it. And so the worst part is this is not even biblical. This has never been the plan of God. Peter was a married man, and so were many of the other apostles. In fact, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 5, Paul says, do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Cephas was another name for Peter. See, many of the apostles had wives, and even the Bible itself gives qualifications for pastors and elders and bishops, and it makes mention of a leader's relationship to his spouse. Paul says, therefore, an overseer or, or pastor or elder or bishop are other words that that could be translated as. An overseer must be uh, above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, and able to teach. Right? Or in other words, a person who is a pastor must be someone who's faithful to his spouse. Right? And the idea was that it was assumed that most church leaders, not all, but most church leaders would get married and have families. And so this doctrine in the Roman Catholic Church was simply unbiblical. Peter was married, and his mother-in-law actually lived within his home. Now, Simon Peter's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. So Jesus comes to Peter's house, and it's right after the service, and immediately they tell Jesus about Peter's sick mom. Right? They haven't even eaten yet. Right? They haven't had lunch. Right? They've not even sat down. They've not even washed their feet. They've not even taken off their jacket, so to speak. They're already telling, you know, telling Jesus about Peter's mother-in-law. Now, the reason for that right, is simple. Number one, fevers were a really big issue at the time. Because if you had a fever, it meant that you were very sick or you had some type of an infection. And, and what you, we have to realize is, is they didn't have antibiotics. Like, like we, don't, we take for granted the life-saving medicine that we have available to us right now. Antibiotics saves lives like you wouldn't believe. Just basic penicillin has saved millions of lives. They didn't have antibiotics. They didn't have Neosporin to put on the little cuts and scrapes on them. Right? Which meant that if you got sick or an infection, your body had to fight that off on its own. Otherwise, you died. And many people died from infectious diseases and from, from, from other illnesses. And so a high fever was really a big deal. It was a serious issue, right? And so naturally, they were going to tell Jesus about this because it was urgent. Number two, the second reason why they told him is because, because they realized that Jesus possibly could do something about it. They had heard him preach Right? And they left everything behind. They left everything behind to follow him. These, these were men who, who had a job. They, they were actually had a prosperous fishing business, a thriving business, and they immediately left it behind to follow Jesus. In fact, many of them left family behind to follow him because they knew that there was something special about him. They knew that he was the promised Messiah. They knew that he was from God. And, and, that, and, and then... And then just that very day, 
they hear him preach this powerful, authoritative message. And, and they watch him cast out demons, right, simply by just giving a verbal command, just by his own word. And then suddenly they realized that Jesus had great power and Jesus had great authority and they, they had their suspicions. You know what? He just might be able to help with this woman with her, with, with her fever. And, and so immediately they tell him about her, right, before they can even, even, like I said, have lunch. I don't know about you guys, but when we're done here on Sunday mornings, I am... I'm ready to have lunch. I don't know about you, right? But so here they were. They immediately tell him, but notice Jesus, he, do, he, he can do something, and he does. In verse 31 it says, and he came and he took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. And I want you to notice that when, when Jesus, he cast out the demon, he spoke a command, and the demon left the man. Right? At Jesus' word, the demon left him and he was cast out. But with Peter's mother-in-law, he touched her. His touch, at his touch it says, the fever left her. The Greek word here that, 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 that gets translated as, as, as left, it actually means to send away. Right? Christ sent her fever away simply by touching her. Right? Her fever, her sickness leaves her body. And this is important because this demonstrates that Jesus has power and authority over both the spiritual and also the physical world. It's a demonstration of Christ's deity, right? He has power over both the spiritual and physical world. When Jesus cast out the demon, he demonstrated his power over the spirit world, right? And, and when he heals his, his, Peter's mother-in-law, he's demonstrating his power over the things in the physical world as well. So notice, right, there is there's no ritual here. Right? Jesus doesn't have to have a complicated ritual. He didn't have to have medicine bags. He didn't have to do anything. Right? There's no incantation. He didn't have to say a fancy you know, a set of words. He doesn't have to have anybody help. He doesn't say, let's all gather around and touch her and pray for her. He touched her, and immediately she was healed. And notice her healing was complete. You see, he didn't just make her fever go away. Right? He healed her completely. When you have a fever... Right? Because you're sick or when you have an infection, when, 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 when your fever finally breaks, right? when you finally get that relief, when, when the antibiotics finally kick in and, you, and, and, and your fever you know, kind of like comes down, do you immediately feel like getting up and going to work? No. Most of the time when it happens, when, when, when your fever breaks, you're still sick. Right? You're not fully recovered yet. Right? You still probably need to be in bed. But notice that Jesus, he, he touches her and the fever leaves her and immediately she gets up to serve them. Immediately. That, you know, that's what it says. The fever left her and she began to serve them. And, and, and this is referring to the fact that she got up and began to wait on them. She began to serve them a meal. Presumably by this time they finally get to have lunch. Right? She felt good enough and well enough that she got to work tending to them and their needs. Which tells us that not only was, was she healed completely, but it also tells us the proper response to being healed by God is service to God. When Christ heals us, it is fitting for us in our gratitude to want to serve him. In fact, that's part of the Christian life. When you put your trust in Jesus Christ, he heals you from your sin. When, when he heals you, he heals you from the penalty of your sin, which is called justification, and he also heals you from the power of sin, progressively cleaning you up from the inside out. That's called sanctification. And, and as the prophet Isaiah says, 
but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Jesus Christ suffered and died on the cross to heal you. He was crucified in order to heal us from our greatest sickness, our greatest infirmity, which is our sin. And when we are healed and set free, the natural response to that then should be to fall in love with Jesus and to be grateful to him. Be grateful for what he's done. And the natural way to express gratitude is to desire to serve him. Just like the woman here, she, she, he healed her and immediately she began to serve Christ. And notice her service was immediate. She began to serve him right now. And this is really in contrast with, with those who come to faith in God and think, well, you know what? I just don't know enough about my faith to serve. I just don't know enough how about to get involved. I just don't, I'm not skilled enough to serve God. I'm still too new. The reality is, if you belong to Jesus Christ, you too can serve him, even if you're a brand new Christian. There's always something to be done to serve him. In fact, notice she began to do what, with what was, to, what was available to be done. Right? She started with what was at hand. She immediately began to serve in an area of need that was available in the moment. Right? People needed to be, to be waited on, and so she did that. People needed to be served, and so she did that. And so she didn't just you know, you know, step back and say, well, you know, now that Jesus has saved me and, and healed me, I wonder what he wants me to do with my life. Right? She didn't wait around looking for the big ministry opportunity you know, that she thought might best suit her skills. She didn't wait around for Christ to confirm for her whether she's supposed to go on some missions trip or start a hospital. No, right? She wasn't looking simply for an important, quote-unquote, way to serve. She just got busy serving. Because the truth is all service, hear me on this, all service is important to God. All service is important to Christ. Whether it's preaching or teaching a class or hosting a small group or singing or painting trim or passing out food boxes or serving food at a potluck line or mopping the floors, all service is important to Christ. There was once a man that I knew that <clears throat> he seemed to be so excited about his faith. He was just like, like a ball of energy all the time about, you know, you know and he was just excited about Jesus, and he seemed to have this really deep desire to serve God. And he was so energetic that, that he had all these plans to go out into the world and do all these things for Jesus Christ. And, and, and then he asked me, he said, is there any opportunities for, for me to serve in the church? Because, because he really wanted to get plugged in and really start serving God. And he expressed an interest uh, in preaching, and he asked if he could start preaching on a regular basis. And I told him, I said, man, I am, I am all happy to help you. I'm all in to equip you for ministry, and I'm excited about your passion for, for God, but the best way to begin serving here in the church is to start serving where there's a need, right? That's the best place to start, and right now what we need is someone to help with cleaning and organizing some things around the church, and we've got lots of projects to do, right? And when the time comes, as other opportunities come up, and you demonstrate faithfulness, that you're really in this thing to, to serve God, then we will help kind of move you along where, as God leads. But that offended him. He refused to, to help because he thought that those kinds of things were beneath him. He felt that, that he was too good. He said, I want to do real ministry. I try to tell him that anything you do for Christ is real ministry. 
All service to God is important. Now understand, if you have a gift, if God has gifted you, you know, with a talent, God will give you opportunities to use that gift, whether it's preaching or evangelizing or singing or going on missions trips or, or counseling or leading your own church someday. If you have gifts, if it's God's will, he will open the doors in his timing and you will have opportunities to use those gifts. But until then, until that happens, right, out of gratitude for God, we all ought to find some way to serve Christ. Kim and I served in this church for many years before I became the pastor. We taught the three to five-year-old class for for a lot of years. There are a lot of kids now that are in junior high and high school who, who started off in that class that we were teaching back then. Right? We also helped to clean around the church. We, we served in the church choir when there was such a thing. Right? We helped with several projects around the church. I served as an usher doing just what so many other people do. I helped to you know, collect the offering. Right? And then I finally served as a youth pastor. <clears throat> the reality is there's something for everyone to do, and all of us should be serving Christ in some capacity because it's the natural response to being healed and being saved. It's a natural outworking of our gratitude. And all service to Christ is important. Now, I want you to notice what happens as a result of Jesus casting out the demon and healing Peter's mother-in-law. It says in verse 32, that evening at sundown, they brought him, all who were sick and oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. You see, Jesus demonstrates his power over the physical world and you know, that he can heal people of their physical ailments, and he can also help people overcome their spiritual bondage. And so word obviously spreads quickly. I mean, you know, we know how that is, living in Boron, how fast word spe- you know, sp- spreads around, right? But word spreads quickly, and people show up in droves to be healed, and it says that the whole city was gathered at the door. Now, that expression, whole city, is probably hyperbole. It's not literally every single member of the town was at the door. It's like me saying the whole town was at the, at the football game. You all kind of know that that means that there's a lot of people, but it doesn't mean every person literally was there. Right? But, but there's something about this particular text that, 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 re- that we can overlook really fast that I think that, that we all need to see. And it says that evening at sundown, they brought him all who were sick and oppressed by demons. Now, now, this is really important because I want you to notice the time of day. It was evening at sundown. Why did people wait to bring, bring people who were sick or oppressed by demons? Right? Jesus obviously could help them, so why wait until the evening? Why not come, like, after lunch? Why not come at midday? Well, the answer is <clears throat> the, they were all waiting for the Sabbath to be over. Because the Sabbath was from, from Friday evening to sundown Saturday evening. See, for the Jews, days start and end at evening time. And these people were waiting for the Sabbath to be over before they could go to Jesus. They, you know, they had to wait until sundown. Now, you might think, of, well, why? That's just really, really weird. Well, the answer is simple. They didn't want to violate how they understood their religious Sabbath law. Because the Sabbath law prohibited a person from working on the Sabbath day because the Sabbath was supposed to be about resting and drawing closer to God. See, that was the purpose. It was designed 
to be a day where you rested like God had rested on the seventh day from his work in creation. And so the Sabbath was to be a day of rest and closeness and devotion with God. And it was supposed to be a regular part of your life. It was something that you did all the time, which means you needed to be prepared for it. Which means you had, need to have all your chores done you know, ahead of time. You need to have all the food cooked ahead of time. You need to have all your work stuff done ahead of time before the sun went down Friday evening. That was, that was the way they, that way they could spend time actually resting their bodies and devoting themselves to close fellowship with God without distraction or diversion. But the problem is, is that we people are fickle. People look for, the, for loopholes and ways around the law, right? We kind of do the same thing, right? Especially when it comes to tax time, Right? Right? People will look for loopholes. Like, how can I like, not do this without actually violating the law? Some people want to squeeze in a little bit of extra work so they can get ahead. Some people, you know, they just didn't want to take their devotion seriously enough to be prepared ahead of time because it's a lot of work to prepare all your meals, you know, the day before so that you can actually not work. And, and, and have, it, you know, you had to have all the laundry done. You had to have everything done beforehand. And so there arose these rules and regulations around the Sabbath that would, in essence, force people to rest. I want you to think about that, right? Force people to rest and, and be in compliance with the law. And there became, you know, all these prohibitions against anything that resembled work. Like, you couldn't light a fire on the Sabbath. Now, you could actually keep a fire going that was already lit, because that's not work. But lighting a fire is work. I don't understand it either, Okay. Or you couldn't pick up a rock on the Sabbath day and look at it, like, you know, the, the rocks that get painted around here all the time, right? You couldn't do that uh, because picking up a rock was technically work. Now, you could pick up a kid because it was your child, and your child could pick up a rock because your child didn't actually work, right? But you couldn't pick up a kid that had a rock in their hand because then you were technically, you see what I'm saying? It just gets really, really, really complicated. There's, there's all these, these rules and regulations, right? And, and so the Sabbath became about observing all these rules. And people, right, they didn't bring anyone to Jesus who was sick on the Sabbath for fear that someone might think that they're working because the, the consequences are actually pretty severe, that, that, that breaking the Sabbath was actually a death sentence. And so what do they do? They waited for the Sabbath to be over, and then they went to Jesus, which really raises an important point. <clears throat> These people allowed their religion to get in the way of being with Christ. They allowed their religion to get in the way of them coming to Christ. Now, when you think about this, they didn't go to someone who could heal them of grievous injury and life-threatening illnesses. Grandma's got a 106-degree fever, and that dude over there is healing them, but we can't, we can't go over there yet. We've got to wait another three hours before the sun... You understand, right? He could heal them of chronic pain and demon possession, but, but because they're trying to obey a bunch of religious rules, they don't go to Christ. But let's understand, the Sabbath law was meant to give people rest from their regular work and their regular activities so that they could rest and spend time in close fellowship with God. The Sabbath was never, ever intended to keep a person from seeking help. It was never intended for someone to keep someone from, from helping someone else who, who was in dire need of help. Which Jesus makes really, really clear when he heals a man on the Sabbath and the Jews try to accuse him of breaking the Sabbath law. And Luke 14, Jesus says, <clears throat> or asks, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. And then he took him 
and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on the Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And, and what Jesus is getting at is like, man, if one of your kids fall down and bust their head, you're going to help them, right? So there's no prohibition against helping someone on the Sabbath or, getting, or, or helping somebody get healed. But these people allowed their religious you know, uh, understandings and their laws and rules to get in the way of coming to Christ. And, and before you scoff at that, right, there's still lots of people who do that. They allow their religion to get away of, of them coming to Christ. We have lots of friends that, that are Jehovah's Witnesses in the LDS Church and Oneness Unitarians, and they live in a deeply religious world. Right? They, I mean, they, they do more religious activity than we ever thought of. They have all these rules and regulations, and, these, and the religions, though, are preventing them from really coming to Christ. Their system of religion, it creates a barrier between, between Jesus and healing them and giving them his life-giving presence. And these people, they're, they're stuck in a system of works righteousness they, that, that, that prevent them from ever coming into Christ's presence. And even, even some people that are believers or even people who say that they believe can let their religion, at least their religious beliefs, get in the way of, of close fellowship with Christ. There are lots of people who claim to be Christians who don't want to come to church because they don't feel like they have their life together yet. Right? Let me just tell you something. Right? You don't wait to get your life together to get back into church. You're a sinner in need of Christ healing you. You need to run to him and get into fellowship and with people who can help you in your walk with Christ. And again, we might scoff at that, but, but, but really, even, even some of us who have a really good theology or have a strong theology still has this strange kind of belief that lingers where we feel like if we fall down in our sin. If we do something, you know, and, and that we know is sinful, right, we think that we can't get right back into God's presence. There's something in us that says, oh boy, you sinned, so you better kind of avoid God. So don't pray and just kind of like this, put yourself in this little spiritual penalty box for a couple of weeks, you know, and kind of do penance. And, and hopefully, you know, you can stay out of trouble long enough to be back in God's good graces, right? And that, that maybe that he'll accept you back. That is just plain silly, when you're in sin, when you fall down in sin, you need healing, and you need it now. You don't need to avoid Jesus. You need to run into his presence. You need to run to him in repentance and faith and, and hold on to him and his promises to save you. You never let religion or legalism or religious notions get in the way between you and Jesus Christ. Let nothing get in the way of you and Jesus but these people did just that. I mean, they literally had to wait until sundown. But then the sun goes down and they all show up to Peter's door, right? And, and Jesus was willing to oblige them. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and he cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Now, we covered that in the last series, I mean, in the last part about the demons. But, but Jesus, after a long day, Right, goes ahead and he heals them. And I say that he, it, it says that he healed many who were sick, but again, it's a figure of speech here because Luke's parallel gospel, Luke's gospel account of this same story tells us that, that Jesus had laid hands on everyone that was sick and they were, that were, they were healed, which means this was a very long and exhausting day. 
I mean, it was evening time, and, and the sun had gone down, and it was almost time to get to sleep. And then a huge number of people show up desperate for help. Right? Now, if, if you're a parent, you might have a little inclination of kind of what this is like. Um, because you probably come home at one point after a really long day, and you're already thinking about kicking off your shoes and maybe sitting in front of the TV for a couple of minutes, you know, and maybe even just going right in there and crawling into bed and going to sleep, right? You're just so exhausted. You're so tired. It's been a long day. But then one of your kids does something that, that they shouldn't do, like they fall and they break their arm, you know? You know, or they, you know, do what I did when I was like three and fall in the bathtub and bust your head and, you know, had to go get stitches. Or maybe one of your children's just been sick and they got a 104-degree temperature that's climbing and it won't come down. And so what do you do? No matter how tired you are, right, what do you do? You put them shoes back on, you put that jacket on, you, you grab them up, and then you take them to the emergency room knowing that you're probably not going to get any sleep anytime soon. Well, it's kind of like that. It's a super long day for Jesus. And, and just when, when, when things are about to wrap up, right, you know, and it's about, to, about time to go to bed, a bunch of people show up from the city looking for Jesus to heal them, and he does. He helps them. And I want you to know there's a couple of reasons why he does this. Number one, he heals these people and casts out demons because he's validating his authority. He wants people to understand that he was sent from God and that he spoke with authority. And he wanted people to hear the gospel message and come to salvation. He wanted to establish his authority so that people would also hear his word. And then number two, he heals people because he had great compassion. Because think about this. He really only needed to cast out a couple of demons and heal a couple of people to establish his authority, right? People would know, like, okay, this is the real guy after he did that, right? He didn't have to make a point to heal them all, but he does just that. He heals them all. He casts out all the demons. Beginning at sundown until very late in the night, late in the night he lays hands on them one at a time. And each one of the sick are healed, and all the demons are cast out. And the reason why he does that is because Jesus is compassionate. He cared about their suffering. He cared about their pain. In fact, in the book of John, we find that Jesus is so moved by compassion for his friends who are experiencing the pain of the death of their friend Lazarus, that Jesus knew that he was going to raise anyway, the Bible tells us that Jesus, because of their pain, wept. He cried. He sobbed openly because of the pain of others. Jesus was compassionate. And this is the point that we all need to remember. This is the point that we need to hold on to in our own lives when we are suffering and think, where are you, God? This is the point that we need to remind people of when they're struggling and wondering if God even cares. Yes, God cares. Jesus is compassionate. Jesus cares about you and your pain. Jesus loves you. In fact, Jesus loved you so much he came into the world for you. It's because of the love of God. Remember, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Right? Christ sacrificed because of his compassion. He sacrificed his comfort. He sacrificed his sleep. He even sacrificed his own life to bring healing to other people because he is compassionate. And this right here is a demonstration of that. Jesus has great compassion for people and he went out of his way to help them, which is something that you and I need to learn to emulate more of this year. We all need to be more compassionate. 
We need to be compassionate because Jesus was compassionate. We need to help others because Jesus helped others. We need to demonstrate in our own lives the love of Christ more often. So Jesus spends the evening loving people and healing them. But notice what it says next in verse 35. And rising very early the next in, in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. You see, the thing I want you to, that you and I need to, to see here is Jesus had a long, busy day. A day, right, the day before was just crazy busy, and he was up late at nights, and he's probably very tired. But Jesus made it a priority to spend time with God the Father. He gets up super early, right, to spend time with God. Notice it says, while it's still dark. Brothers and sisters, that's early, right? If you're up before the sun comes up, that's early. The sun's not even come up yet, and Jesus has gotten up out of bed, and he goes and finds a quiet place. That's what the desolate place is. Really, he's just alone, right, where he can, he can be by himself with God, and he prayed. Jesus, as busy as he was, whether preaching and teaching and healing and loving people and sharing the gospel from daylight to dark, he made it an intentional priority to get alone with God. And I'm going to tip my hand here a little bit, right? Because if there is a New Year's resolution that you're making, if there is a goal that you have set for yourself this year, this has to be one of them, right? You need to spend time alone with God, right? Say it with me. I need to spend time alone with God. One more time. I need to spend time alone with God, right? Every day. Every day, right? And I, I know I talk about this all the time, right? And I'll probably keep talking about this until, until Christ takes me home, but it's the truth. You need to spend time alone with God every day. I need to be reminded of the same thing. Because notice Jesus did, right? Jesus needed to spend time with God every day. Right? And so if Jesus did, then so do you. You need to be with God alone in prayer. You need to spend time alone with God in his word every day. In fact, Lifeway, one of the publishing houses for the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, has written, after 10 years of research, and I don't know why it takes 10 years to figure this out, but, but after 10 years of research, they said two things about spiritual maturity. Number one, Bible engagement, or spending time in the word of God, is the number one spiritual discipline for growth. If you want to grow to be more like, in your walk with Christ, right? if you want to be more like Jesus, which the Bible says you should be more like Jesus, if you want to grow in that area, the number one thing that you need to do is spend time in the Word. And number two, Bible engagement or spending time in the Word affects every other discipline. People who read the Bible, people who engage the Bible, give more, Go more, do more, pray more, evangelize more. Every other thing that's associated with Christianity, there is, there is a strengthening of all those other things for people who spend more time in the Word. Your time alone with God in prayer and His Word is an indispensable part of your Christian life and your Christian mission. And if there's anything at all in all that we talk about that you get out of this sermon today, let this be it. The fact that you, like Jesus, need to have an intentional time alone. You've got to make a priority in your life to spend time alone with God every day. Even when you're tired. Even when it's crazy busy. Especially when it's crazy busy, right? You need, you need more prayer. In fact, um, Martin Luther 
once said, I've got so much to do today, I have to spend four hours in prayer today. And someone's like, how can you get anything done with spending four hours in prayer? He says, like, if I don't spend that time with God, I'm not going to get anything done. Right? Even if it's the long day, you spend time with God, just like Jesus. After a long, busy day, he made a priority to get up in the morning and get alone with his father. And then verse 36, and Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. Everyone woke up in the morning and were like, hey, where's Jesus? Right? And they went out and they hunted him down. That's what actually what it says to search for him. is like it's, It means to hunt. They were hunting for him. They were like desperately looking for him. And they said, everyone's looking for you. And of, and of course they were, right? I mean, he just healed a bunch of people. He's like, he's like Mr. Popular now. And all their friends were coming to, to come and get healed too. But notice what he says here. He says, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. You see, Jesus, while serving people's needs, he became very popular. Because when you help people, right? When you do things for them, you tend to become popular, right? They appreciate what you do, right? But the problem is sometimes that focus, right, that becomes the focus of your relationship with them, what you do for them. For example, we have a food pantry here, and there was a point that we were giving out food like twice a week. We just had basically open doors, and people just lined up, and we, we couldn't keep food in here because it, just, it was just, just vast amounts of people were coming in here. Now, Many people were grateful for the food that, that, that we were able to give them, and we still do things, we still give away food, we just do it differently, right? And people were grateful for that, and some, we, we certainly were meeting needs, but the problem, the problem is that many people that came to the pantry, they just wanted food. And what that means is, they weren't interested in the fact that we cared about them. Like, they just didn't care. Like, they didn't want to talk to you. Like, just give me my food and let me go. They didn't care. They weren't interested in Christ. They weren't interested in the church. They were not interested in looking for a way to make their life better. They weren't even interested in us offering to help to find ways to get them on their feet to make their life better. They just wanted the stuff. They just wanted the food. Right? But understand, we don't operate a food pantry simply to feed people. It's what we do. It's a byproduct, Right? Just like Jesus didn't have a healing ministry simply to heal people. Jesus had a priority, just like we have a priority. And Jesus expresses his priority when he says, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. See, Jesus makes it clear what his mission is. He makes it clear why he does what he does. He does what he does in order to preach the gospel. That is the focus. That is the mission. Remember, Paul tells us why Jesus came in the world in the first place. Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners. And all of his work here on earth was aimed at that point. Even his healing of people and casting out demons ultimately was to facilitate the preaching of the gospel. Through healing and casting out demons, he demonstrated his power and his love and he showed compassion for people. But ultimately, that was so that people could receive and hear the life-saving message of the gospel. So Jesus was not interested in the fact that everyone was looking for him. He wasn't interested in the fact that he was wildly popular all of a sudden because he knew the reason why everyone was coming looking for him was not because they heard the gospel. The reason why everyone was looking to him was, was because they wanted something from him. 
Because the nature of men, the nature of us all, is to seek the gifts rather than the giver of the gifts. These people were not seeking Jesus because he could lead them in a relationship with the Father. They were looking to him because, because of what, what they could get out of him. They wanted physical healing. They wanted to have their demons cast out. And later on, people would flock to him because he was feeding them. Remember the story of him feeding 5,000? And understand, these things are not in themselves bad. They're not. But ultimately, Jesus did not come simply to heal the sick because those that, that he healed will get sick again and will die someday. He didn't simply come to cast out demons because people who get freed from, from demons can be enslaved by the enemy in other ways too if Christ is not in them. He didn't simply come simply to feed people because, because you feed someone today and tomorrow again they're, they're hungry. Jesus ultimately came to solve man's greatest problem, the need that we have for a savior. He came to rescue people from their sins. He came to rescue us from the wrath of God. He came to set them free. That was his priority. He came to preach the gospel. And so he did not allow his popularity to get in the way of that. And he didn't allow the fact that he was, he, that there was so much need get in the way of that. And this is important for us because as Christians, man, we can really get caught up with the fact that there's a whole world out there, right, of things to do, right? We, 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 we think about our works and our faith, right? And we can be consumed by trying to meet pe people's physical needs. I mean, you look around in our community right now. Just drive around town and you can see there's lots that need to be done. People need to have their properties repaired, right? Trash needs to be cleaned up. There are people that need to be, that are hungry, that need to be fed. There are children who need clothing. There are, you know what I mean? There, there are people who need, need, need their cars fixed. There are people who need help locking their stinking dogs up so they don't go and bite people, right? There's a lot of need in this community right now. Crime's on the rise. Drug abuse is on the rise, right? And we can be overwhelmed with that. But again, and again, people, many people's needs is important. And we should strive to demonstrate the love of Christ by doing that. But if we don't remain focused on preaching the gospel, we're wasting our time. Hear me on this. If we focus all of our attention on feeding people and passing out toys and helping people get enough money to pay their water bill and to get rides to the, to the hospital and pass out jackets and, and clothes, but we fail to share the hope of Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he came into the world and died on a cross for our sins in order to give us his righteousness and that he was raised three days later proving that he can do what he promised to do. If we're not sharing that message, we're wasting our time. Because people who go to hell with a full belly still go to hell. People who go to hell with a closet full of clothes still go to hell. People who get their diseases healed ultimately still will face, you know, will still die and face judgment and what? Go to hell. And so understand our acts of compassion are not really compassionate if we don't point people to Christ. We, if we don't do that, we're not any different than any other secular charity at that point. Why even be a church? We must always prioritize the gospel. That's what Jesus did. Right? He could have stayed there in Capernaum for weeks and months and became even more popular. And, and the truth is, he, he would have never run out of opportunities to help people because the fact is, there's always more to be done than can be done. There's always 
going to be people that need help. There's always going to be people that, 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 that need to be healed. Right? But Jesus didn't stay there. He got up and he went on preaching the gospel. And notice he says he went throughout all of Galilee preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Jesus continued to meet people's needs. And, and we will read more about that as we go along, about his healings and all that he's done. But he always prioritized preaching the gospel because he kept the main thing, the main thing. Jesus stayed on mission, and we need to do the same thing. One of the popular expressions in the, of Christianity in the, in the 1990s, most of you will remember this, because it still carries, for some reason, a lot of weight for some people, is WWJD, right? What would Jesus do? People always ask that question in every situation. Well, what would Jesus do? Well, let me tell you what Jesus would do and what he did. Jesus preached the gospel. Over and over and over again, he preached the gospel. And if you're going to grow to become like Jesus, then you need to do the same thing. Now, as I wrap up, <clears throat> I want to leave you with some closing thoughts and some applications for you to possibly consider as you think about your life this coming, this coming new year. And number one, the first thing that I want you to realize is there's always more to be done than can be done. Okay? We live in America, folks. There's always a lot to do. There's always places to go. There's always people to see. There's the, the grass needs to be cut. The roof needs to be shingled, right? The tub needs to be cleaned. The laundry needs to be done. The neighbors need help moving. Don't call me. I'm just kidding. Um, right? There's always more to be done than can be done. And, and the thing is, is what we need to understand is that's just a fact of life. And if you don't get a handle on that, this is going to be the thing that's going to rule your life because you're just going to run from one chaotic situation to the next day after day after day after day, never, ever getting your head straight and prioritizing, right? So guess what? When you go to bed and you go, I didn't do that or that or that, just understand that's just the way of the world. You're not going to get it all done, right? Which leads us to number two. We need to keep the main thing the main thing. We need to stay focused on Christ, all of us needs to keep our eyes on Jesus, right? And, and, and this is, again, what I'm, what I'm saying here is this is the part of our life where everything else can come first because, because focusing on Jesus can, can feel like a second-order kind of thing. Oh, my goodness, I got to go, you know, I got to go clean this up. I got to go wash the car. I got to get the oil changed. I got to get the tires rotated. Da, 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 da. There's always more to be done than can be done, all right? We need to keep the main thing the main thing. We need to focus on Christ. And the way we do that is by being deliberate and setting aside time to be alone with God every day. You just need to set that appointment. Everybody's got, most everybody's got smartphones. Some of them, some of you turned them off. But um, most everybody's got smartphones, and you can put an appointment on your calendar today that says, time with Jesus. Four o'clock in the morning, five o'clock, whatever time it works for you. Mornings, evenings, you need to be deliberate about spending time with God every day. And, and then before... Another way we stay focused on Christ is to get plugged in and serve in our gratitude. Right? We need to be expressing our gratitude for Christ by being available for his service. Because service draws our heart closer to him. Serving the Lord draws you, it changes you, it shapes you, it makes you more like him. And number, and number five, we need to make a priority to focus on the gospel. We have to prioritize the gospel and remember Right? That's the reason why Jesus came. Yes, go love your neighbors. Bake them pies. You know, be good to them. Help them move. Right? You know, help your, your neighbor, you know, uh, change their tire. Right? 
Feed your neighbor down the street. Bring clothes. But remember, those are all short-term solutions for their lives. What they need more than anything else is a relationship with Jesus Christ. We must, as followers of Christ, prioritize. Which means we need to rehearse and we need to know and we need to share the gospel with those around us. But if we do that, then we'll become more like Christ. And so, as we wrap up uh, tomorrow's New Year's Eve, right? And then Tuesday's New Year's. Doesn't give you a lot of time, but my encouragement to you is between now and then, get a little bit of alone time with God and ask Him to pierce your heart for how He wants you to grow and walk with Him. My encouragement to you is to make Jesus the priority of your life. Get alone with Him and then prioritize sharing the hope of Christ. That's why He came. That's the mission He's called us to. Let's be all in for that. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, as we consider these things again, Shape us in the image of your son. Help us to hang our dependence upon you. Help us, Lord God, to be devoted to spending that time with you. Right? Us spending time with you isn't, isn't, for, isn't even really for your benefit. It's, it's for us. You're glorified when we spend time with you. But ultimately, in our time with you, it's, it's how you change us and shape us and grow us, Lord. Help us, Lord God, to see that as, as a vital part of our lives. Help us, all of us, Lord, to not let this be just a secondary thing. You know, help us to, to make this a first-order part of our lives. We get up and we, 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 we close out the world and we approach you in prayer and pour our hearts out to you and then we hear what you have to say through your word. And Father, I pray that you would motivate us, Lord, to get involved in the work that you're calling us to do, whether it's you know, sweeping up the rocks out front or serving food to our neighbors. Help us to be involved in your work, Lord. Grow us through service. Father, help us to always keep our, our, our hearts on the gospel, making the main thing the main thing. That, Lord, that there are people that just desperately need you. We, we talk about all the time how we can change our community, and we talk about all these programs and things that we need here, but ultimately what we need more than anything else is you, Lord. Pour out your spirit on this town, Lord. Pour out your spirit in this church and raise up a people who are willing to go out and storm the gates of hell and rescue their neighbors and their friends. Father, have your way in all of our lives and our community. We thank you for that. And be glorified as we wrap up this year and the next year. Christ, let me pray. You've been listening to the preaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead, a production of First Baptist Church in Boron, California. Our website address is fbcboron.org. And would you please consider partnering with us financially as we work to share the hope and the gospel of Jesus Christ with our community and our world.